And now on this episode of Miami Miked Up, I am joined by Mike Silver of a whole bunch of different platforms. Backstage Sports, The Volume, a columnist out west for the San Francisco Chronicle, and of course, for our purposes, the most important, one of the national big boys here with Bally Sports. You know, we're really bringing in the big guns. Uh, also, in his past, you have Yahoo, Sports Illustrated, NFL Network. He's done a ton. So, Mike Silver, thank you so much for joining me for this uh, NFL preview week here on Miami Miked Up. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm collecting jobs, and uh, <laughs> uh, you know it's it's going great. I, I'm you know there was a movie uh, Michael Keaton starred in where called Multiplicity, where he cloned himself uh, because he you know his work was taxing him and his family life, and hilarity ensued. I, I don't think I can do that, but um, I'm definitely you know definitely a little bit. Uh, you know, confused at times, like, wait, I'm doing who for what, but <laughs> right. I'm stoked to be here. And I'm in Houston for preseason football. It gets no better. Oh my gosh. Preseason. Yeah. Preseason football gets no better for track. Have you seen uh, sidetrack? Have you seen severance on Apple TV? You similar? know, I tried, I, I watched with some of my kids were home. My kids are grown and my uh-huh. wife and um, that first episode, we were tired and it was so like, you know, like long shots right. of them walking forever. Right. And nobody and I fell asleep and no one was into it because I was going to give it a shot. And everyone and, you know, my daughter works in the industry. Everyone was like, nope, no second episode. I'm like, really? Wow. I think I I I need to go back and especially given given the comments you made to start this episode. uh, That will be a thing you definitely. Yeah, I I kind of heard the premise and I was like, that sounds cool. It's great. Yeah, it's great. You'll you'll enjoy it when you're not, you know, working 12,000 jobs in the middle of NFL season. So Uh, maybe in uh, maybe in late February. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You'll find the pocket. Hey, that's for similar reasons. uh, Or end of January is when I'll be getting married for similar reasons. Working it around the world. Thank you very much. That's Uh, awesome. Thank you. But nonetheless, um, actually, the first question that I have for you is outside of work. What is something that's recently brought you joy? (laughs) That's awesome. Well, um, you know, one thing that recently brought me joy is that um, I think for the first time since I got out of college, I did something in August other than grind through trading caps. Not that I don't love that because I, I still love when teams go away. There's still a few that do. I love Pittsburgh, New York. I love, you know, some of the offsite ones. But um, because I was kind of figuring out all my job stuff and, you know, it's the Chronicle one, which kind of requires me to be hardcore Niners uh, focused, had come late. But in the meantime, I got invited to a wedding in Antibes, France, which is the French Riviera. And, you know, I'm a Californian, so we don't go to Europe cavalierly or, like you know, it's like a long way. And uh, so my wife and I spent uh, eight days in the middle of August, right after I started a new job, uh, part on the French Riviera and then part in Paris. And it was unbelievable. And it was one of my childhood, one of my childhood friends, um, daughters, wonderful family, great vibe. Um, this is the, the childhood friend is the guy that we grew up together in LA. Um, we co-wrote a sports column for our high school newspaper. Oh. The newspaper was called the Palisades Tideline. We wrote a column called the Riptide. Um, he was a really promising, uh, journalist. He did get sidetracked and went on to, um, win five NBA championships as a player and four as a coach. But that I will be say one this Steve about Kerr. this guy. <laughs> he, uh, 
I, he knows this. I was the only Warrior fan in our school growing up. Um, I was born in San Francisco and I rooted for all the Bay Area teams as a kid. And um, so he knows. He, like everyone else, he gave me grief. They stunk. They, you know, the Lakers owned them. So when he sees me do things like show up in Cleveland for victory parties, and I say that plural, uh, he knows, like, I, I kind of deserve to be a pig because I, you know, I'm, I'm an OG. Well, all right. So let's I was going to ask you about that later in this conversation. So let's just go right to it with Steve Kerr. I I was wondering something. So obviously you guys have a friendship for a long time and I I wrote it down here. You have it in your pin tweet is a picture of the two of you. Yeah, that's from the the, the pin tweet is the reason that means so much to me is we were um, it was the first championship that that they won in Cleveland. That's like it's some little side area of the Ritz because the victory party had been at at Morton's, which is at the Ritz. And it was literally, that photo was taken at about 6.30 a.m., you know, and, and, you know, the after-after party. But the reason I love that photo so much is um, he, the the night ended, or the morning, with Steve holding court for about, I don't know, the the last 10 stragglers. And uh, he started telling high school stories. And he told this story about me where he was pitching in the uh, LA city championship uh, at Dodger stadium, uh, our baseball team went on this miracle run where they like lasted bat down to their last pitch on the road. And for the first time reached the city championship. And we, I wasn't on the team, but we faced uh, a school from the Valley and they had this star pitcher. And this is in 1982 and uh steve our junior year and they had this star pitcher and we're like we'll we'll win we're a team of destiny and they're like no no no. this guy's unbelievable he's so good whatever man we were a team of destiny so the pitcher was brett saberhagen get out of here he threw the only no hitter in uh la city championship history at least at that time the score was 13 nothing no Uh, steve Steve pitched in relief, but uh, anyway, so he he told this like hilarious, vivid story, goof, goofing on me, and uh, so uh-huh. I was like totally in my happy place. But anyway, so I'll, I've now hijacked the entire. Oh no! Intro I'm glad this is where we are. It's all you. I'm glad this is where we are. It's where I ultimately wanted to end up. So I'm glad we just cut through all of it. We'll get to the NFL stuff when we need to get to the NFL stuff. It's better than Mike Gusecki trade. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Exactly. You you get where I'm at with it. Well, the question I was going to ask you was, is there a story from because Steve Kerr, obviously, we all see the the type of persona, the type of guy he, he clearly is and seems to be. And I'm wondering if there are any stories from youth that sort of are the perfect ones that indicate, yep, he's been this guy from the beginning. I mean, well, I, I there are a million and <laughs> I could, you know, I could go on and on, but and, just make it the, by Steve the way, Kerr I episode. Did, did do, my daughter and I have a podcast that's been on hiatus called um, pass it down. My daughter, Natalie and I, and our first guests in the first two episodes, cause we two parted it were Steve and his daughter, Maddie, who, who's the one who just got married. And she played Natalie and Maddie went to Cal together. Maddie was a big volleyball star and uh, so there, a lot of stories were told on that. If you're ever, you know, stuck in a car or something. And and um, Maddie actually tells a great sports dad story about Steve. Um, and there, yeah, so we we cracked on each other a lot. But I, I mean, just to give people a sense of what it was like, uh, Steve and I really got close when we had an American history 
class together in uh, high school. And we thought it would be cool, among other distractions, to narrate all of American history to ourselves in Howard Cosell's voice. For, you know, <laughs> and, he, and so, like, I just remember Tuesdays were the greatest days because we had new material because of course we watched Monday Night Football be like but back Geronimo the little known speedster and and, uh, <laughs> and like Steve remember he like I have a really good memory he remembers yeah. a lot of this stuff I think like if you put us together we could probably like patchwork things that have fallen by the wayside yeah but I mean I mean really like honestly with him just think like close your eyes and think of like your boy when you were growing up who was just like the best he's the coolest and then you know a lot of times that gets spoiled like he no he's exactly still that guy and he's gotten better and that like you know because i i mean the things i'm proudest of are just you know the father and husband that he is like it's right. he's awesome so and he's obviously he's really you know found his voice when it comes to some things that he stands for that yeah you know, i also stand for that are really really um, awesome. And then, of course, my favorite, th the, the, the the times where I'm happiest when I watch them live, I mean, obviously, I'm a fan. Still <laughs> Other than just of, being the fan, right? Basketball, <laughs> but like the times where I get the most jacked up are when he gets uh, teed up or better mm. yet, tossed. And uh, I was at a game. They were playing somebody. It was early in the season. I was there with my wife and a couple of our kids. And uh, um he, I think they were playing the Celtics this is a, this is a few years ago, and he got really mad and got teed up. And I was just like, "This is so awesome!" <laughs> I, I'm like sitting in his seat, his family's seat. I'm like this is the best. Yeah, like and so then excited. he was definitely going to get tossed, but Mike Brown, who is a large man, ran, went out on the court, grabbed him. him like this, and pulled him. You know, kicking and screaming. <laughs> and so after the game, we're like hanging out in Steve's office, and Mike Brown walks in, and I was like, "Dude, thank you for like, saying." That was, that was like my favorite image ever. And they were just cracking up. He's like, "Yeah, man, I had to pull hard." That's know? amazing. Well, yeah, because he must have. If he's gonna get tossed, he seems like such a generally cerebral guy that if you've worked him up <laughs> to getting tossed, it's almost. It's it's actually kind of reminds me of of any time that happens with Coach Spolstra down here, where right. where Eric Spolstra, same deal, sort level headed, calm guy. So you know if you've worked him past the point where he's getting ejected from a game, you know somebody's gonna have to pull him <laughs> but, back. But the great, but you know, Steve is like, you know, that's why I get so excited because that yeah. psycho competitive, you know, angry guy, like that's my buddy. I love that. Yep. You know, well, and he uh he he won me over officially. I mean, because obviously, so I'm uh I'm 27 years old, so I I missed I missed the playing career of Steve. Oh, Kerr, and uh, I'll which brag about shame. that all. Oh, of day. course, I I got lucky enough and. I'm going to end up cycling to something else yeah. semi-related here, um, cool. and, and it's all sort of connecting uh, eventually. But uh, the thing that won me over was, as the coach of the Warriors, the Warriors happened to come down here, gosh, not so long after uh, the Parkland shooting. And Ooh. Steve invited just a number of students out to practice. They all got to meet Steph Curry, shoot baskets with them. He was talking with them, and I could just tell, like, He's having very specific one-on-one -on -one conversations with here, trying to learn from these kids, be there for them. And it was just like, I, I'm, you know, I'm obviously I was only 22 at the time and not that far removed from playing baseball against Stoneman Douglas High School, Whoa. right? Like growing up down Whoa. here. So to see 
you know, the, the empathy and the care for other human beings. It was something I really appreciated, let alone all of the stuff he's done just as a, you know, a coach, just seeing sort of the human being side um, was special for me. Um, and That's so awesome. you know, and obviously it's very, yeah. very personal to him, which right. sucks. Right. It was awful because of his family experience. But, uh, you know, um, yeah, that's that's really cool to hear. Yeah, he's he he seems like a very special guy. So I'm sure that friendship and relationship is uh is a good one to keep and, and to have. But I guess I mean I, it's just nice when you're vindicated. You know, yeah. like I, I <laughs> believing was like, in a friend and like yeah, this is gonna work. What, and I here mean, it is. it's funny because when he got the job, you know, like we even I remember like Maddie, his daughter was like, I think he's taking the Knicks. You know, like huh, and, right. And so he took the Warrior job and. I texted him like right when it got announced and I was like, dude, and he's like, dude. And then he, he said, he texted and said, I still remember you doing Bill King, who was the Warriors legendary announcer. Cause I could, it was, I live, you know, 350 miles away, but you could on the transistor late at night, you could get the 50,000 Watts in and out. So I would, you know, Chick Hearn was in LA, but I was always, by the way, as I've said to Steve, it's crazy we weren't getting girls, you know. Like <laughs> listening to the transistor to radio our, in the but, middle of the but, night. But, um, you know, he said, I still remember you doing Bill King. And then and then he said, so the next text he said, I just need to find my Rick Barry. And I texted back, you have him. He's just like eight inches shorter, and we, which is probably probably not eight. But like, and, and he laughed. But like, turns out he has... Someone even greater. Right. I mean, wow. And, and a sensa- sensational player who, again, like all of the stars aligning there seem like two peas in a pod. And and for me, again, another guy who Steph Curry, I was a high school kid when he was having that run at Davidson and was like, this is the coolest thing ever. And I can't wait to watch him. You know, there's a funny story. My my I have two sons. My older of my two sons, my middle child is uh you know, it was a very intense kind of competitive kid and earnest. And he got in, he was very young and he got in on that Davidson run. Yeah. And um, when they lost to the elite eight to Kansas, right? Close. Uh-huh. He was like beside himself. Like heartbroken. <laughs> and I was like, and my wife's like, you got to talk. And I'm like, Greg, they're not supposed to like, it's Kansas. Like this, it's a miracle what they <laughs> right, did. It's crazy. And, and he was he was so like distraught. Like the uh-huh. next day, he's like Davidson, and you know, of course, it, it, he got lucky because Steph ends up, you know, going to the team he loved. And, right. You know, it's it's just uh, man, unbelievable. It all that, comes that, full game, circle. that game four, you know, getting to watch that game. We had gone to game one, which mm-hmm. was like, you know, I. Steve and I both had the same reaction, which made me feel better, which is like, dude, if, the, if those guys are going to make all those shots, like, right. every, like it, we have no chance. But uh, game four, you know, I was watching at home with my wife and a family group text is, you know, popping. And uh, in the second quarter, even I was like, you guys, something is happening. Like, you know, I've seen a lot of basketball. I'm like, th- I'm like, this is different. And, uh, I, you know, we got into the fourth quarter and I said, there's a word that I'm not going to say now that I'll, if it goes well, I'll say it after the game and so they went and people were like what's the word and i'm like jordan-esque yeah. that was that was jordan-esque i mean sensational just, killer killer yeah. killer 
it's uh it, it feels fortunate to to get to witness those runs when you do um to know there was like jordan and the bulls in the 90s yeah. you know growing up for me in high school i'm down here watching the big three era of the miami yeah Heat. right that to was then, cool it's to then witness you know in, in my early 20s just to see what the warriors have been this last number of years so to get to kind of be a part and, and see those different dynasties and actually i'm just gonna stick with it we've got a time limit on this but i'm gonna stick with the nba for a second because okay. Hey, we're having fun. You know, uh, we're the, go, you know we're going over the time limit. You know how that goes. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm, a, of I'm course. a podcaster too. Of I, course. I, but I appreciate, I appreciate it. If I really have to go, I'll just, you know. We'll make it clear. But nonetheless, the, the th- other thing I wanted to ask you about was your relationship and stories with Dennis Rodman. Yeah, great. And, and again, like I got lucky on that because, you know, my boy who I grew up with and my insane, you know, new friend right. ended up on the same team. And, you know, so it's funny at, at, at Dennis's hall of fame induction, uh, I think it was in 2011, which by the way, he couldn't believe he's like, They're the yeah. but, um, you know, he like a year and a half before he got inducted, he said to me, if I go to the Hall of Fame, I, w- I need you there. And again, this is like the only other thing I've ever done in August besides go to training camp. <laughs> right. I, think I like went to Patriots camp so I could do it. But, uh, you know, and Dennis, like Dennis is a super, he has this like very kind of sweet boyish side to him where he's kind of, you know, so like I, I was really touched. So I was like, um, of course. So I went but it's, you know, it was weird. Like there was, there, there were some people from the old crew and, and then Steve and Judd Bushler were there who played together in Arizona and were on the Bulls. And uh, so, I mean, it was, it was a really great night. Like Dennis, he, you know, he kept it together enough. He did like eight wardrobe changes, but then like he drank, but didn't get insanely sloppy. Right. Instead of doing kamikaze shots or Jägermeister, you know, he was drinking beers and, um were we the the after party ended up they had rented out this like it was kind of a strip club but it was kind of a bar in springfield right and so it you know i think it was a strip club but didn't feel strip clubby to us because we sure, just had sure. our own area <laughs> and you know chris chelios was there from the blackhawk and yeah. uh and so at one point we're standing um at the bar it's real late and steve Judd Bushler, Chris Chelios, Dennis, and me, and drinking beers. Um, There's strippers kind of way off in the background, but we're not really paying attention. They're blasting Pearl Jam naturally um, over the loudspeaker. And Steve goes, do we have a game tomorrow? (laughs) (laughs) We, We were like literally back in the 90s. (laughs) <laughs> it was right. such a good line that's like, incredible yeah i mean it literally yeah. put you right back in it yeah but no no that was amazing yeah no it was it was a really cool time i mean it kind of freaks me out so the rodman 30 for 30 i was all over which was right. really cool i was not in the last dance uh but in each case i kind of wanted i'm glad there's not so there weren't cell phone cameras like not like i did anything horrible but like no we you know, we had we had a freedom to us that, you know, people can't have now in public. And but I also kind of wanted to show my kids like 12 seconds of footage or six right. seconds, just us. And I haven't found it yet. And uh, what's crazy is that we were the most conspicuous humans of all time, you know, aside from the way he looked. We never VIP roomed ever, Dennis. Really? We would go into the, into middle, the middle of, of the everything. Stuff, 
and people would swarm around and we would hang out, you know, whether it was a gay bar or a club or a uh-huh. restaurant or Vegas or whatever. We were always Michael Jordan would go in this little side room with a dealer, just him. And, you know, Michael Jordan was a massive star and no one knew he was. At. Dennis was in the middle of the Mirage playing craps all the time, talking wow. to, you know, Joe from Poughkeepsie and, you know, like. The dead was there. The first the, that first story I did on him for SI, the crazy one in '95. The dead was playing Vegas, so like deadheads are walking by. I I, I went to Cal in the '80s, so so they yeah, okay. My, they were kind of my people too. But yeah. uh, I, I, you know, it was a show, but it was it literally could not have been any more conspicuous. And yet, think about how much that's changed. That was in the mid 90s to late 90s we're doing that it all would the be time. impossible now no yeah, that would now, be impossible right now someone is filming me for sure i'm in downtown houston there's my windows open right i'm on camera somehow right now you know yeah so but it was great i mean i talk about this with athletes a lot you know michael Irvin, other people that we used to roll with and we're all like god we definitely had a different um experience than people now it's cool to get a slice of that specific time because for me like what obviously brought that time back and and you mentioned the last dance like that did sort of bring it back for a lot of us who who didn't really live through it to get to see in the moment during the pandemic when all of us were at home it was the only thing we were all sort of doing communally for sure and that i mean of all of the episodes the rodman episode was the one that had all of us for the entire week you know you know what's amazing by the way i was during that episode i was getting texts like hey were you on that vegas trip and i was like i don't think so Maybe I mean maybe I, there were there were a lot of them. I don't <laughs> think I was on that one, but I'm like, wait, it was during. I think it was during crazy. the football season. I it seems like I wasn't, but the fact that I didn't know was like amazing. Right. Well, that that again, that's why it's like it's so fascinating to watch these things after the fact and sort of just learn whatever is presented to us. Because, like you said, there's no cell phone video to be able to piece together the specific moments. Some of it becomes lore. And I'll be honest, I miss a bit of that getting to exist in pop culture, in yeah, sports. Sure. There, there's not as much lore out there. It's all a lot more has to be curated. But I'm going to give you some Mike McDaniel related lore. As yes. This experiment uh, plays out. I promise you in some form what i probably in a book type form but um so mike mcdaniel and yes let's get into again it. sorry for hijacking the no you know where i'm headed right come on you know exactly um, where i'm headed that's the next question so here's the deal so like i am a little reluctant to share him with the world because i've been on the mike mcdaniel uh train for a long long time but no one really kind of knew yeah. who he was, you know, in football we kind of did, but like, okay, so these are my concerns with Mike. Sure. And, and I, I've said this to his face. Um, he, I think his material will kill as long as they're not like in a four game losing streak. Like he's so funny and so smart and so dry and so dark. And, uh, you know, in person, like, I mean, I laugh every time. He's unbelievable. He cracks me up. He but I've seen up. lots of people in person just look at him like, 
I don't understand, <laughs> you know, and it's not very NFL coach, you know, like. Well, that's uh, what's so surprising about him is that sense of humor is I, I've heard sense of humors from NFL coaches. It's not like that. It's yeah, different. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he's um, and I feel like he's kind of working out material sometimes, you know, like the, the first time Kyle let him do a press conference first. He, well, actually, he did an interview with me. He did an on camera interview with me. I did a thing with Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur, and Mike on camera. Yes, I remember this. Network. And, and um, Mike had never done an, an on-camera interview. And he was like, he told me he'd been like, couldn't sleep the night before. I'm like, what? And I'm like, dude, you were good. It was fine. So then when the first time Kyle let him do a press conference, I think last season when he was the nominal OC at the very beginning and uh you know, I watched it on Zoom after, and uh, he's like, "How'd you? How do you think I did?" I'm like, "Well, did anyone laugh at the joke? Because he had tried something." And he goes, "I don't think so." He goes, "It was Zoom, so I couldn't really tell." He goes, "But I think it kind of, you know, I think I bombed." And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I, "I thought it was funny, you know." I got right. right. Um, so yeah, no, I, I'm really. I, I hope Dolphin fans are really excited. I mean, I'll say, you know, two things can be true about Brian Flores and. Obviously, there was a lot of dysfunction there above him. But two things can be true. He did do a really, really good job and not deserve to get fired based on performance, um, you know, and the issues he's brought up subsequently in the lawsuit right. absolutely exist in our world, in our league. The, the second thing is that he acted like a jerk to many people in many ways. Mm. It was Belichickian, and if you're gonna act like Bill, it really helps to either a have Tom Brady, and or b be as able to coach like Bill. But um, you know, and Brian's a really good coach. But so you know, Brian Flores did get fired because of his interpersonal um, interactions in that yeah. building. Um, he didn't deserve to get fired. But that said, it did that and the Sean Payton, Tom Brady, conspiracy theory and all that stuff. It did pave the way for a really cool thing to happen. And that's Mike, who his first ever head coaching interview, um, got that job. And, you know, if you're looking for something different from Brian, which usually you are when you fire someone, right? Right, of course. Um, you know, and, and I told this to Chris Greer, you know, along the way. It's funny because like Chris Greer and I talked when he was doing the search and I'm like, okay, first of all, he doesn't care what I say, but you know, like I'm not a, you know, I'm not going to hire his coach, but we start talking and I just was like, Hey, I started telling him how much I love Vance Joseph. I'm like, VJ's the best. He will not, you're, you'll be happy every day coming to work. It's not going to be abrasive. And he's like, I know. Cause they had him there. And then I, I said, you know, Dave ball and I used to kind of, but we're, good and I really like it and I, I kind of talked up Dayball and then I went to Mike and uh, and then the cover and then I, I kind of stopped and he goes so you just called me to try to get me to hire Mike right I, like, <laughs> I love those other guys I'm telling you like you can't go wrong and you know but I gave it a shot but um yeah no Mike he's just um he's got this real relentless positivity to him that I think yes. you know people are seeing um and it's it's kind of cool because um, you know, I, I've talked to him about a lot of players over the years and, you know, most coaches, when I talk to them about players, you know, when we're drinking beers or whatever, Mike doesn't drink anymore, but like when right. we're in that vibe, it's like, oh my God, this guy, you know, they drive him crazy. Right. Like, you know, including Steve Kerr, by the way, talking <laughs> about certain players. Where you I'm sure. Um, and so it, Mike 
it's he always you know there's this coaches always say you know don't tell me what he can't do tell me what he can do yes Mike really sees the good and not in like some lame you know Pollyannish way like he'll he'll go but here's what's cool about him you know like yeah that's the way he talks about if he can if he can do this and this it'll be the greatest story because and and I'm just like that's cool so he is very appreciative of where he is but has swag he uh he is very very smart um in life as a coach you're getting you know i think kyle is probably if you gave everyone true serum would everyone would say he's strategically at the highest level of you know cohesive thought with run and pass on the whole specificity opponent specific game plans like you know, Sean Payton's great. He's mm-hmm. out now. Uh, you know, there's some great, you know, McVeigh does right. kind of what Kyle does, but in a condensed, disguised way. Mm-hmm. But w- Kyle's probably at the very, very top. And remember, there was a staff, the RG3 year, that had all three of Sean them. McVeigh, Kyle was the OC, Mike was the head coach, Sean McVeigh, Matt LaFleur, uh, Chris Furster, who that's a whole sure, other Sure, that's a whole separate who, story down here. The run game coordinator. Talk yeah. about a comeback story. Mike McDaniel, um and, and but by the way raheem morris who right. probably will now get a second chance at law glass uh to be a head coach but uh you know you're talking about you know an insane step so anyway mike is if you can't have kyle who is you know like mike's the only way you can get that running game at that level of you know specificity and conceptual brilliance and i think kyle let him basically do most of that at toward the end because kyle Mm. understood like this guy is a gangster so (laughs) um i think you know strategically you could get an a plus plus you are i think interpersonally it's going to be a adjustment like it is for any new head coach but the vibe i like and now i just hope he does what matt lafleur did and win early and often so that it's, you know, cause I was worried about Matt. That's a sweet dude. And I'm like, you know, I know Matt can be really tough, but I'm like, God, if he goes to green Bay and starts off like, you know, three and five, right. Uh, they're going to eat him alive. And, and luckily he just went 13, three, 13 and three, you know, 14. Yeah. They like, crushed it. Yeah. He just keeps winning. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, I hope Mike, I hope Mike just, um, and you know, listen, if, he will give Tua, in my opinion, the best chance to show that he can, you know, do, if Tua can do it, I think he'll give him a chance because you'll have play action because the running game will always be good with him, with Mike. Um, and the, you'll have play action and he will not ask him to, I think, do things he can't do as much as, uh, you know, he'll be very smart about it. And then, you know, I mean, there are some Jimmy and Tua similarities in that Jimmy, Jimmy's great superpower, and there's some things Jimmy doesn't do that drove drove them crazy. But mm-hmm. he, Jimmy, could drop back, hang tough in the pocket with some guts, take a hit, deliver the ball with an incredible release to a very, very, very tight window, um, act crazy accurate, yes. crazy accuracy. And I know people go, "Oh, he's not accurate. like." <laughs> on those like and and they constructed their entire offense around that you know after the catch debo right Kittle, Ayuk, those are run after the catch guys because jimmy so you know and we know Tua can 
get it accurately out quick. Mm -hmm. I don't know if his release is like Jimmy's or if it's quite as accurate, but that I think you can apply that, you know, that experience. So I, you know, I'm not, I don't know if two is good. I know he's not Justin Herbert and that sucks and it's hard not to paint him with that brush every single day. If you're <laughs> in the dolphins building or a fan, but um, you know, he could be, he has a chance and he'll have a better chance now. Well, and that's the big question, right? Is with Mike McDaniel at the helm, Based off a lot of the things that you just said, right? Talking about a guy who accentuates or wants to accentuate the thing you do best, cares a lot yes. about what players do best. Yes. A guy who seems to have a lot of empathy and just kind of care for human beings. When you yeah. combine that with the schematic success that you're talking about, with you know the right hand man to Kyle Shanahan, you would think that that can put a quarterback in the best possible position to succeed. And so the the comparison that I kind of want to ask you about is you just mentioned the playmakers in San Francisco, Debo, Ayuk, Kittle. Yep. Obviously, you know, Gesicki is not Kittle. Gesicki may be out the door. Um, but you have Jalen Waddell and you have Tyreek Hill and those right. weapons. So how do you believe that having those weapons and the stable of running backs that the Dolphins do have will translate into Mike McDaniel's offense? Do you think these are the right fits to, to make this work to the to the best possible ability? I think we're going to find out, right? Like, he's he's figuring it out. Now, I'm worried about their defense, by the way. I'm not sure. worried. I, I think they will – I do think they will score points and, and be good. Um, I would say this. So, you know, I covered Mike Shanahan all the way through. And, right. you know, when he had that great success in Denver, and he had had Jerry Rice and John Taylor in San Francisco. But when he went to Denver, he had Ed McCaffrey um, – father of Christian for right. you youngins and uh, Rod <laughs> Smith. Rod Smith was an undrafted free agent, a terrific player. Uh, Ed McCaffrey was, I think, a fourth or fifth round pick. And um, I'll give you a quick Ed McCaffrey story, by oh, the please. way. So he, my wife and I went to Cal and um, he and his wife, Lisa, went to Stanford. Um, and so I did a big SI feature on Ed and we were, I knew him from San Francisco too. And I uh, went over to their house and, you know, there, I think there's a quote from Lisa of the story. Literally, her dad was an Olympic spreader, and uh, she said they had, they had, I think, just Max and Christian at the time, two of their sons. And I think she says in the story, we're breeding fast white guys or, or something funny. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but what's amazing is, like, I remember that scene. I was sitting in their living room with them for, like, hours, and, uh, you know, Max and Christian kept running by. And then it occurred to me much later that as a – Good golden bear. I should have swept the lake. Should have been recruited, and, and, and it would have spared <laughs> me a lot of misery because that guy. I don't think we tackled him. Annihilated ever, the Pac-12. You know, and and I'm like, I had you know what kind of you know what kind of bear am I? You had your I chance. Left that on the table. I could have just you know one little kick could have just you know <laughs> messed up the leg for good. Um, anyway, so his receivers were Ed McCaffrey, and Rod Smith. So two guys that you you know, I think Ed he maybe signed a a, a very small free agent deal, or he might have been cut. And Rod was an undrafted free agent, and they were great. They were big. They blocked, and they you know ran after the catch, and they won two Super Bowls, et cetera, et cetera. Well, there was always this kind of school of thought in Shanahan land, starting with Mike, that, and it extended to the running backs too. That like, why would you spend a one? or a two on a skilled player because we've had so much success with guys. You know, Terrell mm -hmm. Davis won the sixth round. Um, not like every 
anyone, not like we can just plug in anyone and they'll be good, but we can, we have shown an ability to find guys who are not first rounders. It's the so, way a lot of people down here talk about the heat, right? Like it's right. the same so sort that, of premise. Right. So that was the whole thing for years and years and years and years and years and years and years. <laughs> and then guess what happened? They went to Atlanta. And yep. they had Julio and they were like, you know what? I think <laughs> it's fun it, having a free. That is true. <laughs> but if I have Julio Jones, you know, Matt Ryan was MVP, like they like Julio. So right. I think that, you know, Mike was on that staff too. So I think that changed all of them. You know, I think they still have this like, well, we can find a guy, but you know what we could do? There's a, so when I saw Mike trade for Tyreek Hill, I'm like, yeah, that's, the, you know, I agree that I could find some, you know, like the Chiefs are going to try and do. We'll find fast guys for right. Patrick to throw to, but if I could have that guy, you know. So I, so I, I respect it. They went after it, and uh, I, I think they'll be the right guys. But uh, if they're not, you know, in that system, you got to block. You, right. you, a receiver who doesn't block ruins the whole system because it, all the outside zone goes off. It, like you have to do it, and it, and you can say, well, the running game just won't be as good. No, their passing game won't be as good either because. The blocking, the way they block the outside zone sets up the pass. It's right. just they have to block. So as long as they block, yes, they'll be fine. And and I remember doing a radio segment I was on every week uh, on a San Francisco station uh, in 2017, 2018, their first two years in San Francisco. And I remember, you know, and they were losing and it wasn't going well. And, and right. uh, they were... They, you know, they'd always ask about running backs or this, and I would just go, I'm just telling you, whoever the running backs are, we may not have heard of them. I'm like, they will always be able to run the ball. And they're like, well, what are you? I'm like, just, you know, and just trust then, me. <laughs> then you have like Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson. And he's Matt down here Lula now, Raheem Mostert. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Raheem Mostert. So I, I don't think, uh, I don't think they were super thrilled uh, in Santa Clara that hmm. he relocated to, uh, <laughs> To Mike's team, but you know, what are you gonna do? Yeah, I guess it happens. I, I'm certainly excited to see him alongside some of these other guys. Before I let you go, let me just throw a bunch, a few rapid fire, sort of yep. quick response NFL questions at you. Yep. Uh, before we wrap this thing up, so awesome. Um, a player who's moved teams this off season, who you believe will have the greatest impact on making their team better. Wow, that is a great question. Uh, J.C. Jackson, Ooh. once he gets over this ankle thing. I love that. You know, Staley's Staley's a gangster and his defense sucked last year. And um, they're obviously trying to address that. But that guy can ball. I I went to one of their training camp practices. I was like, ooh, this looks different. Not your normal charger. (laughs) Chargers. I'm going to go JC Jackson. I like that answer. Okay. A player that you're high on this year that you believe is being underappreciated around the league, that by the end of the year, we're going to be talking about this guy like a star. Wow. Um, I would have to give that a little thought, but I, I, you know, I am here for 49ers Texans. I do think um, Brandon Ayuk is Mm. poised to um, like, if you're, Doing fantasy stock, maybe Debo down because they're not going to have to run him as much. And right. Ayuk up. Ayuk and Lance have this um, connection they've kind of forged. And I keep Kyle has a tendency to be disappointed with the offseason performance of receivers, Dante Pettis, you know, like yes. he, I've seen him very upset, like come 
July some years over, but they're doing the opposite with it. They're like, dude, this guy. And and he right. was a JC kid who didn't really like, I, I think he was a late developer um, maturity wise and all that, which I mean, I certainly was. I mean, shit, even when I was mature, I was rolling around with Dennis Rodman. So <laughs> right. I, yeah. Arguably, that, to say that that's never, the maturity. <laughs> yeah. But I'm going to say like, I think Brandon, you could maybe be more of the you know, whoa, oh yeah, that guy's mm -hmm. a first round pick. And I think, you know, maybe Debo who got paid can come down a little. He flashed it, obviously, at different moments last year. And 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 really that that first season, it was it was fun to watch him. So By the way, there's a kid on the Niners, Danny Gray, who's a rookie, who gives them their first real deep threat uh, in a long time. And uh I I think he'll there'll be moments where you're like, oh, they got that guy. And with Trey Lance under center, at least we'll we'll see them take some shots. I would imagine the deep ball. The deep ball should be better. I'm not quite as confident with the. You know, I think you'll that get it's short wind, to intermediate. I think you'll get windmill dunks, but I think you're going to get some missed layups where it's like, whoa! But you mm. know, it's a work in progress. We'll yeah. See. I, I, well, we may have to talk later in the year when we see how that goes because I am excited to to see that team. That's one oh of the most yeah, interesting and and, to and me. the thing that excites me the most about Trey Lance is he's supposed to be insanely smart, like not mm. just smart, like hyper smart and in Kyle's offense. So I, I feel like whatever else is going on, that that's a big, big excitement, love, you know, excitement provoker for me. Okay. So we've been positive in the first two, more of a negative, a team that we're all talking about as one of the top teams in the league, playoff bound, you know, that sort of deal where mm, maybe not so fast. It's funny. My sons do this every year. And last year, like they were all over the Bronco, the fake Bronco worship. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, they were like, yeah, right. Yeah, right. And so exactly. I think, they're, I think they're still, I love Hackett. I think they're still skeptical about the Broncos. Um, you know, I want to say, uh, okay, that's great. Um, you know, the Bengals on paper, you would say would be poised to fall off, but sure. I mean, that, that quarterback's pretty special. Um, I, uh, I don't know if I buy all the lions hype and I'm, I'm very okay. close, very close to Jared Goff. I'm, I, I'm a cow guy. Hoping, I just feel like maybe it's hard knocks, but they're getting a lot of. Uh, I think it is hard knocks. <laughs> so let's see. Um, a team that I'm not buying into. That's a great question. Well, I'll say it like this. I don't think the Packers without Devontae Adams are going to be just fine. Now, their yeah. defense is good, and Matt's a good coach, and they may win some games, but it's not going to be just fine. They'll find a way to Aaron's amazing. And, you know, if you're, if, if you honestly are looking me in the eye, let me preface this with a caveat. When Alan <laughs> Lazard first played, I was texting all their coaches and players whose numbers I have going, like, who, who is, is this guy? I, I love him. And I'm like a well-known Alan Lazard devotee. But if you look me in the eye and tell me that's our one, I'm like, He's a three. He's a mm. he's my favorite three. He's sure. unbelievable. He's a gritty guy. But you, so many times on like third down or in the red zone, everyone would just be like, "Fuck, where's Devontae?" Yep. You know, and uh, I I think you know, I, I think that may be an adjustment. Yeah, I think that's a great one to point out because it is that sort of deal. Sort of like we just talked about where the Dolphins are like, oh, all right, let's go get one of those guys. You can't just way, lose a superstar. The Patriots, the Patriots are trash. The Patriots are trash. That's a fun you one. you got Matt Patricia the Patriots and are trash. Ooh. Calling, but they're, the Patriots are trash. Uh, the uh, AFC East folks will enjoy hearing that one. I know our Dolphins fans will be happy to yeah, hear it. When we last saw the Patriots, they were giving up a touchdown to the Buffalo Bills on every oh my single God, every play possession. Uh huh. They, they literally scored every time until they knelt. 
Um, and now they have Joe Judge, the king of the quarterback sneak deep in your own yeah, territory. Yeah, on long. third down. And, uh, and Matt Patricia, who, if Urban Meyer didn't exist, you'd say he was like, you know, one of the worst head coaches experiences of his era. But now you just call it urbaning. Matt Patricia gets to skate because Urban Meyer was so terrible. All right. So the 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 and actually kind of speaking to the bills here, I'll give you my take here. So the hottest yep. take that you can convince yourself to truly believe in. So for me, I am I am convincing myself truly believing. And yes, it's probably because I'm a UCF guy. But Gabe Davis can be a number one wide receiver in fantasy this year if the circumstances go right. I think he can catch so many touchdowns. That's my crazy hot take. You, I can oh, convince I love, myself. I love that kid. That his first year, he made that one catch in the back of the end zone. Yep, it was one of the sickest things. Was that the COVID year? Yeah, that was. So his his last year at UCF was 2019. So he yeah, started so I, in the, the COVID year. The reason, the reason, like, because I sat and watched TV all year, which, you know, I, I'm usually in stadiums, and uh, a lot of things happened, including that, like, plays like that. I was like, what? Who's what this guy? <laughs> yeah. So that's cool. Um, that's a cool take. So you want me to come up with... The hottest take you can convince yourself to believe in. So So a hot take that you could convince yourself of, like, you know what? Yeah, I'll stand behind this. Okay, here it is. Um, so I went to Cal. Uh, they have not been to the Rose Bowl in my lifetime. I was born in Ooh. 1965. It's our holy grail. There have been some things that have conspired to keep us out that are unfathomable, but also we have not been good enough, largely. Um, if they go, I, they don't have to win the Rose Bowl. If they go to the Rose Bowl, I will die happy. And so will like <laughs> my whole crew and people older than me. So sure. here's the deal. Um, SC and the traitor UCLA uh, have now blown up the whole structure and we're facing some really bad scenarios potentially. But here's a scenario for you. What if it becomes the pack two? Then can Cal get to a Rose Bowl? You've got <laughs> only one team to beat and let's make it even better. The team that's never been to the Rose Bowl is Arizona. Now, Kerr and I argue about this because Arizona, we've waited longer. We've waited since 1959. They didn't join the conference till the 70s. Till way later, but, yeah. But, but we've never been. And in fact, the old tiebreaker, it's changed now, but the old tiebreaker was going to give it to them, of course. Because of, it, well, it wasn't who's waited longer, it's who went last. And they've never been. But anyway, um, maybe it could be Cal, Arizona. And then, and then I one think of them gets it. Yeah. So my hot take that I'm going to convince myself is not that, but it's this: because until math mathematically eliminated, until mathematically eliminated, every year at this time, I have faith that the California Golden Bears will play in Pasadena on January 1st. Um, and so, I love our coach. We are a very well coached team, Justin Wilcox. Um, we've got a grad transfer quarterback from Purdue. Let's see how he does. Um, I, I think, you know, we got a lot of three stars and two stars who get coached yeah. up and are pretty good. Um, I'm hearing good things from the fall. Larry Fitzgerald, my friend, somehow just went and talked to the team in person because he met Justin somewhere. That's always so a I good thing. Like that's, that's some good glow. You know, I hosted a thing um, via Zoom during the combine where it was uh, Cam Jordan and Ron Rivera 
and me talking on junior day. Mm-hmm. And I think Marshawn popped in too. So like the karma is really good right now. Um, you know, SC is still that kid's great, Caleb Williams, but I think it might take them. They're a still year. down a little bit. And then, you know, Oregon probably cheated its way to a good place but <laughs> we've had a lot of success against oregon um e- either beating them or playing them close we've had a lot of success against washington we just beat stanford by 30 points which is i'm not going to say orgasmic but it's definitely <laughs> it's it's as close to that as a thing can be because it's funny because watching you know, sports could be like i mean i was at the play as a high school senior i've seen oh us man be- I've seen us beat Stanford dramatically. And in the end, it is, of course, more satisfying to do that. But the actual experience, because two years ago, we broke a nine-game losing streak to them, mm. the longest in the history of the series, at Stanford, dramatically with our quarterback, Chase Garbers, you know, Garber. taking us down the field and run, you know, getting away from a sack attempt and running into the end zone. And we it it was euphoric and af- and you know we celebrated accordingly and afterwards people said you must have had so much fun and i said it was 3 hours and 15 minutes of misery right we right. were just and then it was euphoric but this year that was a little more like we we both at their stadium great experience you know i'm not a big fan of going down to that campus um sure. unless grateful dead is playing frost <laughs> or Bob Weir and Wolf Brothers, we went to that oh, a few months ago, or when we are kicking their <laughs> ass in a sport event. And I'm going to send you a photo when this is over. Yeah, please do. In the stands that pretty much describes how that experience was. So, yeah, I think Cal's going to the Rose Bowl until mathematically eliminated. I will revise it. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I like January it. 1st, Pasadena will roll up in limos. We'll probably be wearing bathrobes or something, and they will come through that tunnel. And then, if you want to take me, just take me. I'm good. Oh yeah, we. Well, here's the thing about my Cal crew, and we're very age inappropriate now. Sure. But uh, and my daughter went there, so we had to kind of like get away from the students when she was there. That wasn't cool. But like um, my Cal crew, this is, and they're all going to Notre Dame now that mm. I took this chronicle job. I'm not going to get to go, but they're going to Notre Dame for a September 17th game. But here's the thing with Cal. Um, fandom and this is like we pre-celebrate probably (laughs) better than any fan base in the country and here's why in the event that the game doesn't go well in you know we need to win something so we're winning friday night and and by the way we'll still party saturday night if we lose and if we win we will rise up and make saturday night the night because it's such a delicious surprise but we just want to get you know we got to get that one notch under our belt so friday night before a cal game we're here to we're here to get our w I love it. I love it. Well, especially it's funny because as as a cow guy, it's obviously it's a little bit different. But us, us, I was at UCF. My my junior year was the year they went completely winless, and then the year Ooh. after I graduated is the year they go undefeated. So and it's if you had the known complete, that, oh, the opposite. Yeah, you would have graduated spectrum. early if if you'd known that. I right, yeah, um, for real. I'll leave, you, I'll leave you with this. So Cal, um, in nineteen ninety one, had this one of our rare great seasons and back then no conference championship game they played washington both were undefeated at the conference cal was down seven and had two shots to the end zone 
that were knocked away. And the crowd actually gave a standing ovation to both teams, which was a kinder, gentler cool. Cal crowd. So Washington went to the Rose Bowl, but Cal played in a New Year's Day bowl game, which at the time was, I think we were, we finished the season ranked seven in the country and we played wow. Clemson um, in Orlando. Oh, and cool, I actually yeah. covered it for the Santa Rosa Press Democrat, but I got to go down and party with my boys, you know, late, late again. Yeah. And then a bunch of my friends went, well, um, they played Clemson. Well, first of all, that Clemson team had like three NFL studs on it. It was like <laughs> Chester McLaughlin, LeVon Kirkland, and Brentson Buckner, all who had great NFL careers. Okay. Um, and, or very good NFL. And, and, um, uh, Cal ended up beating them 37 3. It was, it was a, great day for the bears but it's awesome um, what was interesting was the cal and clemson fan bases which you would think would not be a yeah would not vibe natural match were like it was like the happiest um everybody loved each other like (laughs) for the week leading in and even after the game it was all good and i'll never forget clemson do you know the whole thing about the paw and the dollar bills? I actually don't. I don't know this. So I didn't know this until then. And I don't know if it's the tradition continues now with Venmo uh-huh. and credit cards. But this is 1990, early 1992, I guess, or end of 91. So um, they would pay for their drinks and bars and stuff with $2 bills, which, you know, were hard to find. Okay. And they all had orange paws you know, stamped on both sides. And we were like, those are cool. What's up? Well, back when there weren't that many bowls, I guess Clemson got aced out of a rightful bowl appearance because it was said that they didn't travel well. And ever since then, they were like, okay, so you're going to know every dollar we spend. Oh, that's the coolest. That's the coolest idea ever. All these bars and restaurants were filled with these two dollar bills of paws so i thought incredible we, so we like that and you know cal doesn't we hate stanford and sc and you know there's some other people that annoy us but like we don't have any beef with huh. that's why like cal and texas got in this horrible thing with yeah we should have gone to the rose bowl and aaron Rodgers' junior season and mm-hmm. marshall Lynch's freshman season and we were ranked three in the country but there were six rules that no longer exist in the bcs <laughs> and Mac Brown begged for votes and the hurricane delayed. It's Texas. 40 40 things happened. So we were number three and Texas was number four. And and only one of us could be in the top eight of the BCS. And the Mm. Rose Bowl desperately wanted us. And we had almost beat SC when they won the national championship that year, 55 to 10 or something. And uh, we had just barely lost SC last play. And uh, we didn't get to go. And we got real crossed up with Texas base and because we thought it was being stolen from us and i tried to explain a couple because i was writing columns at si.com and stuff and i and i tried to i said worth it i was like we like texas is a real program we're just like this is our holy grail we're happy to be here if we were if we were fighting over the fiesta bowl like we would stand down like who the hell are we right but this is like our thing you assholes and we were like (laughs) it's like f texas and uh that's great and and so at the time you know, I was a I was a writer for Sports Illustrated, so I didn't. I'm kind of a natural columnist I, where I give opinions, but I, right. I I wouldn't do it in those stories, obviously. But you know, the internet we have like CNN SI, so I write some internet columns kind of on the side. So I kind of saw this screw overcoming weeks in advance. You could just see, and and so I started trying to propagandize that Cal was better than Texas 
um you know as you should that's how not. you should use and, your platform by the way that and, you i know, agree back then with that get like emails or or actual letters and some texas fans were um and i would do email reply like i don't know if you ever follow me on twitter but like it's the same <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would do email reply and you know when it's your real estate you're usually yeah, might as well okay and so um somebody like got so affronted a texas person they're like sports illustrated i call on you to you know take this person's column away how can you let a not you know one of your national football experts be so biased and blah, blah blah and and went crazy and my reply was well maybe if your lame school could produce a journalist who could ascend to this platform <laughs> and was shameless enough to propagandize for his or her school yep. then you could re retort and it, like I, I don't know they didn't know what to do with that yeah, that's I the whole like, thing right i was like maybe texas needs to produce some better more shameless journalists that's absolutely my plan shameless plugging for ucf until the my, my dying breath yeah, you it sound will be like you sound like national champs baby you don't like me yeah, that's where exactly. we're at. National champs. Go Knights. Uh, well, Mike, this was an absolute pleasure for me. This was a blast of a conversation. I really, really appreciate you joining me. Um, before you go, um, specifically for the plugs for the folks down here of where where they can find your work um, so and what they should be asked. following. Okay, well, that's going to be like another five-minute segment. Yeah, so. yeah right. So, all, all those, so, all those so I just wrote on Valley Sports um, Five storylines heading into the season. There's some news, some breaking news in there about, well, not breaking, but there's some, uh, there's a reveal in there about a fight that happened last year in the locker room involving a couple of prominent players that got super ugly. So um, check that out. Uh, Bally Sports, I, I will be doing video and other things for them, including writing. Um, I am a Columnist at the San Francisco Chronicle, which if I do have to cover the local basketball team, I'll tell you this, that head coach is a prima donna. It's all about him and that will <laughs> not fly with me. I will expose him. As we made it masses. very clear. We made but it heavy, clear. heavy, heavy Niners. Um, and so you can see me at the San Francisco Chronicle. I'm assuming you're not going to subscribe to the print edition. Most of you. So, um, you know, you got to pay to subscribe. Online. Read those articles. Um, I work for the volume, um, that's Colin Coward's podcast network. So I go on Colin's podcast and I also have my own show called open mic where it's me interviewing various NFL luminaries. And I promise you there will be someone dolphin, uh, you know, specific soon, hmm. probably, probably the head coach, if I can conscript him. And, uh, and then, um, I do have a media company called Backstage Media. My partner and I, we have a deal with Metal Arc, which is John yeah. Skipper and Dan Levitard's company. Um, so we are trying to produce unscripted programming, audio, video, a lot of video, you know, docu-series, documentaries. And so we have a lot going on that I think, you know, we, we can't really talk about yet, but hopefully you'll be, hopefully everyone will be sitting around watching like they did the last dance and they'll be like, and there's some footage of Mike Silver and Dennis Rodman that we uncovered. Yes. But only only a snippet. Oh, I can't wait. We'll get our 6 to 12 seconds. Well, that'll be it, Mike. Actually, I'm going to ask you for one last thing. One last thing, I promise, because as we were talking about everybody at the end, it made me realize I want to link these things together. Our three main characters of this episode were Steve Kerr, Dennis Rodman, and Mike McDaniel. 
Well, really, me. And you. They're kind uh, of yeah. the supporting cast. Yeah, yeah, sure. All right. We'll call it that way then. I they're, mean, they're, Steve they're your background want dancers. to that way because, as I said, he is a B-first prima donna. But anyway. <laughs> right, of course. Yeah, of course. He, he, it worse. sounds like he is. Well, okay. So of those three uh, supporting cast members that we have yes. here. My supporting cast. Your supporting cast, Mike Silver. Yeah, I'm Michael Jordan. Correct. One is Steve Kerr. One is Dennis Rodman, and one is Mike McDaniel. But I am Michael Jordan. <laughs> he'll be the he'll be the the Scotty Pippen. Yeah. Uh, of those three guys, what is a quality that unites all three of them? What is something that you could say is something that all three of those guys have other than Mike Silver? <laughs> you know, it, it's funny that you asked that because I had to do a lot of soul searching. There's a song that um, Cheap Trick wrote called "I Love You, Honey, But I Hate Your Friends," and I literally sent it to Rodman. Um, at a time where he was uh, talking up the virtues of his friends, um, one of whom was the president of the United States at the time, and one of whom uh, was also a horrific, uh, you know, yeah. dictator. 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 Uh, so anyway, uh-huh. Kim Jong-un and uh, Donald Trump were both Dennis Robin. Friends and I'm Dennis Rodman's friend, and it just kind of you had to really like soul search because I'm like, you didn't like I don't me put know. in the group. Yeah, I just don't think that's a great fit for me personally. Rodman invited me to North Korea one time, and I said, Oh yeah, no that would not go well. Holy just what cow. you need. Me, I, I'm sure that I would. <laughs> I'm sure nothing bad would happen to me there because I'm so quiet and restrained. Yeah, it's, anyway, it seems like um, it. So uh, yeah, okay. So Dennis Rodman, Steve Kerr. Mike McDaniel, I, I, I will tell you what it is. The quality they all have is they have, and Rodman is, is unparalleled, is they have a great bullshit detector. Mm-hmm. And Rodman, it's almost like, you know, eerie. Huh. Rodman, like if you're kind of a schmoozer, a politician or a BSer. He knows he it right away. Knows it right away and just kind of shuts down. Not, not, not really like aggressive, just kind of like, well, and if you don't, he's trying to please you conversationally more than you are to him. Like, it's awesome. Steve is, you know, Steve and I have spent, you know, decades laughing at the, you know, funny things, you know, sports and a life that we goof on. But, um, you know, Steve does not like uh, people who aren't real. I mean, no one yeah. knows, but, but uh, he can spot it pretty well. And, and Mike is just, you know, Mike's good at spotting everything uh, hmm. and yet, you know, takes conversational risks with strangers that I, I'm i in awe of. I commend him. I, I find all three of them to be fascinating and I appreciate your storytelling on all three, both here on this podcast and elsewhere. Go follow Mike on Twitter. Go subscribe to all of his work. Pay attention to the stuff he's doing right here with Bally Sports. Mike Silver, thank you so much again for joining me today on Miami Mike Up. Really cool to be here. And uh, I mean, be honest, this is going to be your best episode ever. Oh, yeah. Come on. It's obvious. It's obvious. Everybody knows it. I'm Michael Jordan. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Bally Sports Florida's Miami Miked Up with me, Jeremy Taché. And a special thank you to our national sponsor in Southeast Toyota. Visit your local Toyota dealers or toyota.com today and take advantage of the amazing deals on their full line of vehicles. No matter your destination, Toyota goes with you. Toyota, let's go places.